Well, friends, our second lesson today is taken from the Gospel according to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 34 and 53 through 56. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Genesaret and moored the boat. When they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him and rushed about that whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, as we've been I, following the lectionary through the Gospel of Mark, these last few weeks have been kind of interestingly nonlinear because uh, it's kind of strange that, that Mark is as nonlinear as he is in telling the story. And so when they map out the lectionary, they kind of make it linear when it wasn't told that way. And so we've kind of been in this little meander where a couple weeks ago you had the disciples being sent out two by two and the start of our passage this week is when they're coming back and reporting to Jesus. You know, they're basically reporting to their boss and saying, here's what I did when, when you know, on my business trip. And they're, they're letting him know what went on. And then in between, you had that story last week about the death of John the Baptist, which also was a little backwards in that uh, Herod is hearing about all these miracles that are happening, and he thinks that it must be uh, John the Baptist raised from the dead who's doing it, and then goes backward into telling the story about how he had had, you know, they tell the story about how Herod had had John the Baptist executed. Um, then this week you end up with this big gap in verses. And as I've always said, watch out. You know, whenever you see that gap, you need to ask yourself the question, why is the gap there? Why did we skip all of these verses in between? And it's because these little stories, which have a commonality we're going to talk about, uh, bracket the telling of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And then next week we get the story that's in the middle, the feeding of the 5,000, except that the geniuses who put the lectionary together decide that we get John's version of the feeding rather than Mark's. So, that's where we are. So we begin with these storytelling artifacts. And storytelling artifacts are always kind of interesting uh, be because, you know, it's the art of storytelling brings you into a story. So I was reading this article a couple weeks ago talking about the 30th anniversary. I mean, it's summertime. We go see summer action movie blockbusters, and this year is the 30th anniversary of the release of one of the great summer action blockbusters of all time, Die Hard. Okay? Die Hard was an amazing movie. I don't know how many times I've seen it. There's 
so many things in it, and it created a genre, you know, the lone everyman hero, uh, you know, fighting against all odds in the middle of a disaster, and so the author was saying, you know, basically ever since, you've got, you know, Speed, which is Die Hard on a bus, you had Speed 2, which is Die Hard on a cruise ship, you know, this summer out there in the theaters right now, you have Dwayne Johnson in Skyscraper, which is basically like Die Hard and the building's on fire, uh, um, you know, things like that. But one of the things that the article talked about was that every detail really early on in the movie was important later to the story. And so he, they were talking about how well written it was in that you didn't see anything early on that didn't play a role later. How many of you have Die Hard fans here? People who can, like, recite the movie by heart? Okay. <laughs> All right. Like, one of the things they mentioned that you would never notice if, if someone, I, at least I wouldn't unless someone told you, is if you don't know the movie, Bruce Willis is visiting his wife in California. They're separated because she got this great job in California, and so her career took her away, and it was putting a big strain on their marriage. And early on in the movie, at her job, she has gotten a Rolex. So there's just a mention about her having gotten a Rolex, and and you're just thinking, oh, it's just a sign of how well her job is going, that she has this expensive watch. But then at the end of the movie, the bad guy, Alan Rickman, one of the great movie villains of all time, is hanging on to her. And the way Bruce Willis frees her is by unclasping the watch. And you see the watch fall away as the villain falls away. And the person said that watch symbolized the, the, the stress in their marriage. And then at the end, you see, at the end of the story, Bruce Willis gets back together with his wife, and that when the watch fell away, it was the symbolism of Bruce Willis getting back together with his wife. And so they were lauding that the beauty of those kinds of details that are in this script. We've got a little detail in the Bible passage today that I think is actually a critical piece of understanding this passage. And it's this. It's right where the healing happens, and it says that the people were begging to touch the fringe of Jesus' cloak. Now, fringe is an interesting word. It's a word that doesn't appear very often in the scriptures. And again, on the topic of being cautious in the way we read scripture, you always have to be careful about a word that seems, that jumps out at you in English. Because if it jumps out at you in English, you have to go back and see, well, whether, you know, in the Greek or in the Hebrew, you know, is the word, does the word mean what it means, okay? So you go back and look at this word fringe. And, of course, we know the New Testament's written in Greek. The Hebrew scripture is written in Hebrew. And you go look at this word fringe, which only appears a few times in the Bible. And the place in the Hebrew scriptures where it appears is in Numbers chapter 15. In Numbers chapter 15, uh, the, the instruction is given to the Israelites to make fringes on the corners of their garments. And about 2,200 years ago, they translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek as Greek was becoming the worldwide language. And indeed, the word they used that when they translated the Hebrew to the Greek, it's the same word that is used in our gospel stories. Okay, So, so this is the same thing. It's the same reference. And the instruction is made to make fringes on the corners of their garments. And then it says, so that you will remember the commandments and do them. 
It's completely reasonable, in fact probable, to believe that Jesus would have done this because he followed Jewish practices. In fact, every time Jesus didn't do what Jewish people were supposed to do, he got criticized for it. Healing on the Sabbath, what are you doing? You know, whenever he didn't do something that he was supposed to do under Jewish law, the Pharisees spotted it and they mentioned it. Surely, if his garments were not in keeping with the standards of the law, we would have stories about the Pharisees saying, and your clothes are terrible. You know, you don't wear the right clothes. But we don't have any record of that kind of criticism. Now, it's an argument made from silence, so it's not definitive, but it is reasonable to think that Jesus would have been wearing the clothing that was in accord with what his tradition demanded and that these fringes would have been present okay and it's always interesting to me that the instruction was that the the commandments these these fringes would be out on the edge of the garment because we tend to think of faith as something that we hold close to the center of our being but instead the command is being given that the the reminder of the commandments must extend to the very edge of our life. It has to go out to the edges. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus lives into. It said, you know, remember the commandments and do them. I mean, what happens in our story is the people see Jesus and the disciples and they go chasing after him and remember that they had gotten in the boat in the first place to get away from the people because they were tired. The disciples hadn't even had a chance to eat. They get away, they're tired, they're worn out. And these people see him and they come to him. And instead of being annoyed, you know, like you getting a call from work on your day off, you know, you always love that. Instead of getting annoyed, they see the people coming at them. And Jesus responds with compassion. Instead of being as annoyed as he had a right to be, he sees their need and responds to their need. So the lesson that I think we have for us out of this passage is the reminder that our faithfulness has to be measured by how it, it lives out at the fringes of our lives. See, it's such an easy thing for us to be faithful at the center of our lives. It's really easy to be faithful when we're dealing with family, when we're dealing with friends, when we're dealing with people who are close to us. And then it becomes harder, it becomes easier to rationalize not being as Christian, not being as faithful as you extend outward from the center of yourself to the fringes of your life. But I think there's a real message here that our faithfulness has, has to be all the way out to the edge. It can't just be at the center of who we are. You know, there, I was thinking what one of the worst compliments is that you can get in your life. I mean, you know, most compliments are good. But I think the worst one is if you ever have a friend have to defend you by saying, you know, deep down she's a good person. <laughs> okay, all right, that, what an, you know, it's an awful compliment, right? Deep down, you never want to be that person. You never want to be the person where they're saying about you, deep down, they're nice. Deep down, they're good. You want that niceness, you want that goodness to be visible, to be evident. You want it to be out there at the fringes of your life so that people see 
what's at, what's truly at your core. And when people see that, they recognize that they want it, okay? I mean, it, it says that there, many saw them coming, going. They, they recognized them. They recognized them because it was indeed visible. The, the, the kindness, the love, the compassion of Christ and his followers wasn't buried so deep that you had to get to know them for months in order to discover that it was there. The love and the compassion that they had was visible all the way to the edges, even when they're tired, even when it's inconvenient, even with people they did not know, it was evident. And it was so evident that the people did something which is really very hard. It says they brought the sick on mats. Now, that's again a little detail in the story but you need to think about that for a second. I mean, nowadays, by the way, you know, if, you, if you've ever had the misfortune of needing to call an ambulance for someone, now the EMTs showed up and the ambulance have these, you know, these amazing stretchers on wheels that collapse. They can basically, like, climb stairs by themselves sort of thing that they have. They didn't have that back then, all right? So when they say they bring the sick on mats, they're needing to bring people who can't walk, all right? Now... You imagine if you don't really have a proper kind of conveyance like we have now in order to carry somebody, and so they're bringing them on mats. So I want you to imagine grabbing like a carpet fragment and carrying somebody a mile or two. How many people is it going to take? How much help do you have to enlist? How much confidence do you have to have that it's worth it in order that you would actually do this? See, I imagine that this is an entire community effort. This isn't just a few isolated people. This is entire towns bringing everyone who is sick. And in order to do that, this is kind of an all-hands-on-deck situation in order to get the people who are sick in their midst to be carried in this very inconvenient way over unpaved terrain to get to Jesus. And when they get there, what happens is they find healing. All who touched it were healed. It being the fringe. And I don't want you to think about the fringe as just being tangential. I don't want you to think of it as meaning that, oh, Jesus' power is so great that you only needed to flick the edge in, in order to get zapped, kind of like if you've ever uh, accidentally barely touched a live electric circuit, <laughs> you know, and you're like, ooh, barely touched that, and it's still zapped. Instead, no, what they're touching for is very specific. They're touching for this thing that they would all recognize as Jewish people as being the symbol of the law as being the symbol of the commandments. They're, they're reaching out to touch something very specific that means to them the power of God. And it is very important to understand that this symbol representing the commandments, representing the law, is something through which healing power is given. You know, it's, it's the great fundamental misunderstanding that people have from the time they're, they're five, you know, or whatever, th this idea we have that sin is fun. And law is constraining. Okay, every little kid has that idea. We think sin is fun and the rules are constraining. It's like, no, sin is destructive 
And the rules bring you healing. The rules bring you wholeness. It is obedience to what God would have you do that leads you to being the person God would have you be, and then you become the whole healed person that God wants you to be. And so all who touch this fringe are healed. So I wonder, for both you as an individual and for us as a community of faith, are you a healing presence to people at the fringes? Are you individually a healing presence to people, not just at the center of your life, but at the fringes of your life? Do people come away from an encounter with you feeling better than they did before? Because, you know, we've all had the wonderful experience or negative experience of being on the receiving end of that, right? We've all had that wonderful experience. I mean, isn't it great when, when you just meet someone on the subway or something like that or on a bus into the city and you've never seen them before and you'll never see them again and they say something to you that just warms your heart, right? It's a wonderful feeling and it, and it stays with you for a really long time. What would it be to be people who do that for others on a routine basis? What would it mean for us as a community of faith to do that for the community? I mean, you know, if you grew up in America, it's really hard not to encounter Christians or a church, right? I mean, you'd have to pretty much go out of your way to have avoided it. But if you ask your friends who don't go to church, why don't they go, uh, it's not going to be because they've never heard of it. Church? What's that? Never, never heard of one. Where, where is one? Can't find one anywhere. Okay? Those are not going to be the problems. All right? The problem is going to be that they found one at some point. The problem is going to be that the problem isn't that they never met a Christian. The problem is often that they did. But you discover that the encounter was not a healing one. What you discover is an encounter that did not reflect the love and compassion of Christ. And the thing is, it doesn't work to tell somebody, you should, you know, you should come to my church. Deep down, they're good people. <laughs> okay. All right. that's, that's not going to work. You're going to hate the first six months. But when you finally get to know them, it's going to be great. Doesn't work. Doesn't work for a community of faith. Doesn't work for individuals. We need to be people individually and collectively who extend the love and compassion of Christ out to the very fringes of our lives. Because that word fringe has the same double meaning in Greek as it does in English. You know, in English, the word fringe both refers to the, the item at the, at the boundary of a garment as well as a boundary itself, okay? So it, re it refers to both the, you know, a tassel or something hanging off the edge and it refers to the fact that it is an edge. The word in Greek has the same double meaning. It refers to both the item at the boundary and the fact that it is a boundary. And so the fringe is a boundary. 
and boundaries are the interface point between where you are and what is outside. All right? Our boundary is the interface between who we are internally and the people we interact with. All right? And that boundary is the fringe. And in order for your love, for your compassion, for your goodness to be visible, it has to be visible at the boundary of your life. It can't just be at the middle. It has to extend out to the edges so as you interface, as you interact with other people, it's known to them. So don't just worry about the center, but worry about the edges. As a community, worry about the edges. Worry about the people who are at the fringes of our society and need to feel the love and compassion of Christ. Worry about the people who are at the fringes of your life, the people you interact with very quickly, very anonymously, and wonder, in that brief interaction, was there a way to be more of a healing presence in that person's life? If we do that, if we do that, the people want it so badly, what happens is what happened in the story. They went miles. They chased after it. Because we so very badly want to have healing presences in our lives. That we'll go as far as it takes. We'll do whatever it takes to get in touch with one. Amen.